0: Wonderful. Well, I'm just calling to confirm an appointment. How many times have you received that call? Have you ever gotten that call before? I'm just calling to confirm an appointment. You may have received that phone call. You might have gotten that email or that text message. Maybe you're the one that has placed the call. I'm just calling to confirm the appointment. I'm just calling to confirm our plans. Look, we understand that in the process of human communication, some lines can get crossed. And so it's important for us to confirm our communication when you think God is speaking to you church it is important to confirm his voice when you believe God is speaking to to you value and confirm his voice we've been talking about communications in our series tune in hearing the voice of God and we understand on a very human level that there are different stages of the communication process right first somebody speaks And then we hear, we understand, we interpret, maybe we repeat, we do something about it. And it very much works the same way when God speaks to us. God speaks to us, we hear, we interpret, we come to an understanding, maybe we share that with one another, and we do something about it. Now, we confirm the voice of others when we make plans. Here's why, because we understand that in our human nature, sometimes, we get it wrong, don't we? So we call to confirm the appointment, to make sure that we haven't forgotten. It wasn't just missed on the calendar, that I didn't mishear or misunderstand what you were saying. And so I call to confirm. Now, when God speaks to us, his word is perfect. It is without error. However, when we hear God and we interpret and come to an understanding and we repeat and we do something about it, all of those other stages are on us. And because we're human and we understand that lines of communication get crossed, we need to confirm his voice in our life. When you believe that God is speaking to you, value and confirm his voice. You know, growing up, One of the most exciting things for us to do was to go to the drive-in during the summer. Now, I know that drive-ins aren't all that common anymore, and it it wasn't until I was an adult that I understood that this wasn't something that everybody did. So let me share with you a little bit about that experience so you understand what it's like. The drive-in that we went to had four different screens. And when you arrived, you would be given a radio station that you had to tune your radio into that station in order to hear the words for the movie that you were going to watch. Now, if you weren't careful, if you didn't pay attention to the instruction, you might find yourself finding some words on your radio that are a movie, but they're for the wrong film and you're hearing the voice of other movies for the other screens around you, and you're missing out on the word that is for you. Have you ever been there? That you have a voice. You believe that God is speaking to you, but you're not sure if it really is God or it's your own voice or somebody else's. So what do we do when we have these questions as to whether or not that really is God's voice? We call to confirm. You know, this morning, we're going to take a look at the book of Judges, chapter 6, in a few moments. And we're going to take a look at one of the most famous stories of confirmation in the Bible. But before we get there, I want to share with you a few different scriptures from the New Testament that just illustrate the point that God is okay with confirmation. They're going to be up on the screen here because we're going to go through them pretty quickly. Mark, chapter 16, verse 20, says, "...they went out and preached everywhere." the lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Here god is confirming the work of jesus and the disciples through miracles. The next verse that we have is Matthew chapter 18 verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Look, that extra person is able to confirm what has happened. God is endorsing the power of confirmation. Another scripture for you, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Now, Paul is referring to the letter that... That he has just wrote, but the point is that Holy Spirit values confirmation so let 's take a look in judges chapter six, the story, the most famous story of confirmation. And we're going to read starting in verse 11. Before we get there, I want to paint a little bit of a picture for you because it's important that we understand the history up until the moment that Gideon arrives in the story. You see, last week we talked about how God had uh, given a mantle of leadership to Joshua to lead the Israeli people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. This is the land that God had promised them ages ago, and they're about to walk into this place. They've been following following this God who is incredibly faithful across the river, they arrive in the promised land, the long-awaited promised land, and you would think as a reasonable human being that they would thrive. That when God has prepared a place for you, specifically for you, and you get there, you think that they would thrive. But we read in uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 1, that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Look, just like in our lives, When we disobey the authority that has been placed over us, there are consequences. We understand that. If we're speeding the consequences, is that we can get a speeding ticket. If we cheat on our taxes, we're going to have to deal with the consequences with the CRA. If your children disobey the rules of your house that you have laid out, there are consequences that they need to face. Now, I don't know if you remember, but God had laid out these instructions for Joshua to pour over the word that he had left for them. And he said, I love you so much, and I made you You, I want you to have success. If you want to experience success, pour over this and do what it says. But the Israelites didn't. And so God had handed them over to the hand of the Midianites, their enemies. And the Midianites were so numerous, there were so many of them that they couldn't be counted. And they stole the crops and killed the livestock of all of Israel. The Israelites were afraid. And they left their homes and made refuge in tents and in caves, hiding. And so after seven years of this process, they begin to call out to God, asking for God to send a prophet to speak to them. And the prophet comes, and he says what they already should have known, that God has loved them, that God has set out for them what they were to do in order to experience success, but they willingly disobeyed and began to worship other gods. And this is where we find ourselves in Gideon entering the story. In verse 11, if you'd like to read along, you can. The words will be up on the screen. We're going to read 11 through 23, and then we're going to fast forward to verses 36 through 40. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abysrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If if now I have found favor in your eyes... "'Give me a sign that it really is you talking to me. "'Please do not go away until I come back "'and I bring my offering and I set it before you. "'And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. "'Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, "'and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. "'Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, "'he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. "'The angel of God said to him, "'Take the meat and unleavened bread.' place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that the angel of the Lord, it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Jumping down to verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. When you believe God is speaking to you, value and confirm his voice. Look, we have this picture of Gideon as a mighty warrior, don't we? If I were to ask you this morning, what do you think of when you think of Gideon? The responses would probably be uh, of a mighty warrior, of a great man of faith, of a leader of a nation, somebody who is full of courage, correct? We might think of that if we've ever gone to Sunday school. However, the problem is that that is wrong. Gideon is a coward. See, here's Here's what the word says that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, and we cannot overlook that fact. You see, a wine press was always built at the bottom of a hill. Here's why because in order to make wine, you would have to carry the grapes to the wine press, and grapes are heavy. And you don't want to carry the grapes up the hill. You want to work smarter, not harder, and carry them down the hill. And the word says that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, meaning he's threshing wheat at the bottom of the hill. Now, any farmer who has any idea what he's doing is going to thresh wheat at the top of a hill because threshing wheat is the process of harvesting it and removing the bad from the good. There's some productive material and some unproductive material. And so what you have is a pile of all of this stuff mixed together, and you would stick your pitchfork in it and throw it into the air. And you would rely upon the wind to carry the waste, to carry the chaff, the bad stuff, out of the wheat. It was so light, the wind would carry it away, but the wheat was heavy, and it would fall down back in the pile. And so you would be left with only the wheat and none of the chaff. But Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. He's at the bottom of the hill where there's absolutely no wind. And he's there because he's scared. He understands that it is useless to thresh wheat in a wine press. But he's so filled with fear that he is okay with doing a job with complete ineffectiveness. And as he's throwing the wheat up into the air... It and the chaff are falling back onto him, falling into his hair, falling into his beard, into his clothes, and it's incredibly uncomfortable. And an angel of the Lord arrives, and he says, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Do you know that God has a sense of humor? Everybody in that room knew that these were not the actions of a mighty warrior, Gideon is scared, and the angel knows it. Now, why is he scared? Because of the enemy of the land. There are 12 tribes in Israel. Gideon starts to reply to the angel, and he says that of all of the tribes of Israel, mine, Manasseh, is the weakest. And within that tribe, there are clans. And my clan is the weakest of all of the weakest clans. And within that clan, I, I am the least That the angel of the Lord is appearing to a coward, calling him a mighty warrior or a man of valor, and he says, you're mocking me. Gideon does not realize that the angel of the Lord really is an angel, but rather responds to him as if he's a man. You know, many scholars have suggested that the angel was actually a pre-incarnation of Jesus. And Gideon is standing in the presence of Jesus, not understanding who this is or what's going on, and he replies with some sarcasm in his voice. He says, well, pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all that has happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Notice how he's responding to the angel. He's using these collective pronouns. He's saying with us, to us, told us, given us, abandoned us. He believes that the angel is just a man mocking him. But at some point in the conversation, something begins to shift, because he realizes that those words that the angel is speaking are not the words of a sane man. He says, "I'll be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites." Look, either this really is an angel who is claiming some truth, or it's another man who is lying and trying to mock Gideon, or Gideon has been in the wine press a little bit too long, and he's having an illusion. But he hears these words and he's not sure what voice it really is. And I wonder if we've ever been there before. That we pursue the voice of God and we have a sense, we have an impression that we hear from God, but we're just not sure. Is that really the voice of God? Is that my voice? Is that the enemy's voice? Is that the burrito I found in the back of my fridge that smelled kind of funky, but I chose to eat it anyway last night? How do we know if that voice really belongs to God? What do we do? What does Gideon do? He values and confirms the word. The language that Gideon uses changes from this collective to this personal. If I've now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it really is you talking to me. And he asks the angel to wait while he goes to prepare dinner. And the angel says to him, I will wait until you return. Look, it makes natural sense that Gideon is questioning the word. God doesn't seem to be present with the Israelites. Now, we know that that's not true, that, that Gideon's perception of God abandoning them is not true, but rather they have walked away from the Lord, but, but he feels like God is absent. And God is speaking to Gideon, and he's asking him to do something that his nation hasn't been able to do for seven years. And Gideon is a deeply flawed individual. So he asks for confirmation. He says, don't go away. I'm going to make dinner. Will you wait for me? And the angel says, yes. Now, this is incredible because making dinner was a several-hour process. He would have had to go out and find a young goat. He would have had to dress it, prepare it, cook it, bring it in. He brings it back to the wine press. He brings it back to the angel, and the angel sees it, and he says, take the unleavened bread and the meat and place it on the rock. Now, pour out the broth. The angel touches the the rock with the tip of his staff and flames erupt out of the rock, consuming the bread, consuming the meat and the angel disappears and Gideon realizes who he was with, that this was in fact the voice of God in his life. God wasn't angry that Gideon asked for confirmation. God didn't condemn Gideon for asking for confirmation. In fact, he was okay with it then and he's okay with it now. Shortly after that confirmation, Gideon asks for more confirmation. He says, I'm going to lay out this fleece. You know, really, if it was you, God, speaking to me, I'm not sure anymore. Like, it seems like maybe I was dreaming that. I don't know. But if it really was you, I'm going to put this blanket on the ground. And in the morning, if it was really you, make sure that all of the ground is dry, but the blanket is wet. And so he wakes up in the morning. He picks up the blanket. He twists the blanket, and it fills a bowl full with water. And he says, okay, please don't be angry with me, but I need to ask again. If this really is you, I'm going to put the blanket out again. And tomorrow morning, would you make sure that the blanket is dry, but the ground is wet? And that's exactly what happened when he woke up. The blanket was dry, and the ground was wet. Even after the first confirmation, even after the second confirmation, God was okay with confirming his word in Gideon's life. And he's okay with confirming his word in our life as well. Now, we do need to be careful. I believe that we don't get paralysis of the analysis. All right, so we don't know if God would have been more pleased with Gideon if Gideon had responded after just the first confirmation. We don't know if God would have been more pleased if he only required two confirmations. We're not sure. The text does not address it. But is there a possibility that if Gideon just continually asked for confirmation and never stepped out in faith to do the thing that God called him to do, that God would become upset with him? Well, perhaps. We don't know. Although we want to be cautious about questioning too much, the point is that God is not mad when we ask for confirmation. In fact, he wants us to confirm his word. So how do we apply this story of Gideon to our life, Monday through Saturday? We need to know that God will confirm his voice. And that's important for us to know because as we seek his voice in our life, as we bring forward the challenges that we face on a daily basis and we're looking for answers to those specific questions. What do, I, what do I do in this marriage situation? How do I parent my kids effectively? How do I handle this investment? How do I handle this loss of faith or health? This question that I can't seem to find a general answer to. God, I need you to speak it into my life. You pursue that and God responds and you have a Question as to whether or not that really is God, or it's your own voice, or it's the burrito. We need to know that God will respond and confirm His Word. So we need to begin to ask for confirmation when we believe that God is speaking to us. Because when we seek his specific will for all of those scenarios and more, when Gideon sought the specific will of God, remember, he had the word of God. He had a portion of scripture. So he knew what was in God's general will, his general voice. And this was something that came outside in addition to God's general voice. The stakes are too high to get it wrong. So when we believe that God might be speaking to us, what do we do? What steps do we take? How can we tell the difference between his voice and our voice and somebody else's voice? I want to suggest to you this morning just some practical tools that you can put into your life to figure out if that really is God or somebody else. And the first thing that we're going to touch on briefly is that we value his voice. Set an appointment with God. I mean, we make time for the things in our life that are important to us. The things that we value, we make time for them, don't we? Maybe that's, if that's your health, maybe you set time on your calendar so that you can go to the gym. I mean, if you're a car guy, you set time on your calendar so that you can go to those car shows and that you can buff your car and that you make sure that it's in tip-top condition. Maybe you make sure that every Saturday night at 7 p.m. your calendar is open so that you can watch Hockey Night in Canada. We make time for the things that we value in our life. You know, one of the ways that helps me understand this concept is budgeting. Now, budgeting is not a swear word, all right? I didn't just swear in church. It's not a tool that tells me no. It's a tool that tells me yes to the things that I've decided are really important to me. So I make sure every month that I'm giving, and I make sure every month that I've got money set aside for retirement, and I've got money set aside to pay for my kids' education. Why? Because I value those things. And so it makes sure that I can say yes to the things in my life that I value the most so that I don't say no to them because I said yes to too many Tim Hortons coffees. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Right, when we value somebody, when we value something, we make time for it. And so if we want to hear the voice of God in our life, we need to set an appointment with God to read and hear from his general voice. When you do that, Turn off the distractions. Have you ever gone out for a date with your spouse? And you sit down at a really nice restaurant, and you order something, and you're about to have this great conversation, and they pull out their phone. They take a call. They start texting. They're checking Facebook. How does that make you feel? It makes you feel like they don't really value that experience. You don't really value that time. Why? Because you're not devoted in that moment. So when you've set an appointment with God, man, we went over some of this practical stuff last week. You can check it out on the website, how to hear God's voice through his word, but turn off the distractions. Set an appointment and demonstrate his value in your life. Once you've done that, I'm going to suggest that we ask three questions. We're hearing God respond. We're sensing that he's laying an impression, a desire upon our heart, an opportunity has laid before us. We believe God is speaking to us. How do we know that it really is his voice? I'm going to give you three questions, and the first one this morning is, does it align with scripture? Does what you believe you're hearing from the Lord line up with what the Bible says? You know, I have, uh, there's, there's somebody I met with uh, a while back, who used to be in ministry and he had a moral failure. And he chose to pursue a relationship with a married woman. In this process, he lost his job. He lost custody of his children, and he told me that God was blessing his decision because he was happier than he was before and because the job that he got when he lost the job at the church pays him more than what the church was paying him. And so in his mind, this was God approving and saying, yes, this is my will for your life. How many people would say that that is wrong? How do we know that that is wrong? Because it's in complete contradiction with what the Bible says. Malachi 2.16, I'm paraphrasing, essentially says God hates divorce. Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6. Jesus is responding to some Pharisees who are trying to catch him in this impossible line of questioning and see, is it okay if we just divorce our wives? And Jesus responds by saying this, have you not read that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Look, God made allowance for divorce because of the hardness of man's heart not because it was his will, not because it's what he desired for his people, but rather he understood that there would be some people, some men who married women, and instead of loving them and cherishing them and loving them like Christ did, that they would be willing to lay down their lives for their spouse rather than, uh, than making them remain in an unsafe, unloving situation that he made allowance for divorce. But that does not mean that it's God's will. And so I was able to speak into this person's life because I knew what the word said about what he was suggesting. If we're to hear God's voice, if you believe God is speaking to you, it must always be in alignment with scripture because God does not contradict himself. Second thing you need to ask yourself, does godly counsel agree? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but he who heeds counsel is wise Proverbs 24 6 says for by wise counsel you will wage your own war and in a multitude of counselors there is safety so what is godly counsel godly counsel is a group of mature believers who love the Lord and love you enough to tell you you're wrong right don't seek a group of yes men or yes, women, as you believe that God is speaking to you, we all have that friend, right? We all have that friend that we know when we want to go make that spur-of-the-moment purchase, when I want to go and buy a boat, I know who I'm going to call to get some affirmation, say like, this is a good idea. godly That's counsel, it's not godly counsel. Godly counsel is a group of people who love the Lord and love you enough to tell you when you're wrong. You bring this to your godly counsel, and you say, I believe that God is speaking this to me. Do you agree? Are you hearing the same thing as you pray about this? Do you see that in my life? Now, let me just say that going to godly counsel is not a shortcut to hearing from God. We should not use going to godly counsel as some sort of shortcut instead of approaching God and asking him to speak into those areas of our life. To just go and find the pastor or just go and find the elders or just go and find, you know, those people around us who are going to tell us what God is saying. No, we need to pursue that relationship and invest in his word and spend time with him, value it. And when we believe that God has spoken to us, we bring that to godly counsel. You know, when uh, Stephanie and I were going to have our youngest son, Asher, we weren't sure if he was going to be a boy or a girl and we really felt like we were struggling to find a name for our future son or daughter. And so we spoke with a couple that we believed was particularly in tune with the voice of God. And we said, you know, we just believed that there was something prophetic about naming your child. And so we said, can you pray about what we should name our child? They said, sure. A week later, we invited them over for dinner. We said, did you pray about it? They said, yep. He said, did God say anything? They said, yep. Well, what did he say? He said, you should ask him yourself. (laughs) It's true. Godly counsel is not a shortcut to hearing the voice of God, but it is a tool that you use when you have heard or believe you have heard from God himself. So we align it with scripture. We bring it to godly counsel. And finally, we ask ourselves the question, does peace reign in our heart? Do I have peace? Look, faith is from God and unhealthy fear is from the enemy. We know that there are different kinds of fear. We know that there is a healthy fear. Uh, The the, the Bible tells us that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That reminds us of who he is, that he is above us, that he is over us, that he is our heavenly father. That is a healthy fear. We have a healthy fear that says, if I stick my finger inside that electrical outlet over there, I am going to get hurt. All right? That is a healthy fear. Those are guardrails, boundaries that God has created in order for us to throw thrive however we are also all familiar with unhealthy fear unhealthy fear disables unhealthy fear cripples as you are trying to respond to what God has asked you to do to step forward in faith faith is from God and unhealthy fear is from the enemy Gideon was under a spirit of unhealthy fear until he received a word from the Lord and then he was filled with faith Faith enables, fear disables. Look, if God is leading you, he will give you peace. That doesn't mean that you will have all of the answers, but it means that in spite of your lack of answers, you will have peace. The book of Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now that word rule, to rule in your heart does not mean to just be present. Not at all. The word to rule is translated from a Greek word that literally means to be an umpire. Let peace judge. Let peace arbitrate. Let peace control. Let peace, uh, uh, let peace decide your heart. Because God's peace should be one of the main decision-making factors as we confirm his voice. I want to close this morning with just a story of how I believed at, at a time in my life that God was calling me into ministry. You know, I went to a youth workers conference with my wife and with the youth pastor that I was serving under. I was a volunteer, and his wife attended it as well. We went to this weekend conference, and it was just this great time that we had with one another. And the last speaker on the last night, he just took this time, and he said... He said, I just want you to take some time and just be quiet in response tonight. I want you to just listen to God and say, God, is there something that you're trying to say to me right now? Maybe, maybe these talks, maybe this weekend has stirred something in your heart and God is trying to whisper something to you right now. So would you just be quiet before him and ask, is there something that you're saying to me? So that's what I did. I said, God, is there something you're trying to say to me? And I felt this impression, this whisper that God was calling me into ministry. And I thought to myself, well, that's not my plan. I hadn't planned. I had plans for my life, and that didn't include becoming a pastor. And so I took some time. What do I do with that word? Well, I took some time to value it. I set some appointments with God, and I prayed about it. I said, was this just emotionalism? Well, no. No. I wasn't overtired. I wasn't emotional about it at all. Was it my voice? Well, no, my voice says that I'm going to do something different with my life. But I heard this voice that says, you are to be a pastor, that you are to step into ministry. The next thing I did was I said, is this something that aligns with the word of God? Well, as I begin to read his word, I see over and over again that God does interrupt our plans and calls us into things to love other people and to serve other people, that he changes the direction that we're on because he already has the path set out for us and knows where our destiny is and the legacy that we can step into right now. Is this something that aligns with the word of God? Well, yes, absolutely it does. Now, if, God, if I felt like the voice was saying, I'm calling you to open up a casino or a payday lending company, we can probably say that that's not God's voice because it doesn't align with his word and it doesn't align with his character. Correct? But does he ask people to enter into ministry? Yes, absolutely. So I take that word and I begin to share it with godly counsel. And I approach Stephanie, my wife, about it. And I approach the youth pastor and other people that we're serving with. And I say, I believe that God said this to me. Do you agree do you hear that as well when you begin to pray about this topic? When you begin to pray about, about this word, do you agree that that's something that the Lord was saying? Do you see that over my life? And there was agreement. Finally, I had to ask myself Does this, a lot, does this give me peace in my heart? You see, in the natural, it wouldn't have because I didn't make that plan myself. And I had a good job with a good salary working for the city, and I decided that I would leave my job, go back to school full-time, knowing full well that I was going to be taking a pay cut, and I had no prospect of a job at the end of the process. Yet, in spite of that, in the natural, it doesn't make sense, but in spite of all of that, there was peace that reigned in my heart. And I was able to say, yes, this is the voice of God. Church, can we stand together? We're going to close in just a moment. Pastor Graham, I wonder if you would just return. We'll take some time to respond. Every single one of us have these questions. How do we hear the voice of God? How do I know what he's saying? What is he speaking into this situation in my life? What does he want me to do? Well, as we pursue that, as we come to him with thankfulness, with praise, with worship, and we let our requests be known to him, just like Philippians 4, 6 says, to let your requests be known to him. Holy Spirit responds. will speak to you through his word. will give you desires. will give you impressions. will whisper to you in the middle of the night. How do we respond to that and know that that really is the voice of God and not the funky burrito that we had last night? We're going to value his word. We're going to set some time aside. We are going to ask, does it align with scripture? We're going to ask godly counsel if they agree. And we're also going to ask, do I have peace in my heart? In order to overcome your questioning, you have to call for confirmation. Church, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word in this time that we have together. Father, I thank you that you are desiring to speak to us, that you are speaking to us, that you have spoken to us. And I pray that there would be some uh, freedom brought by the truth this morning that we can determine in our life if the voice is yours or not. So God, as we walk forward this week, continually remind us in your word, by your spirit, how to discern well your voice, because we know that the stakes are too high to get it wrong, as you are specifically calling us. God, we just break off any lie from the enemy that says that we can't call out for confirmation, but we see rather, God, that you are inviting us to do that, and that you will confirm your word, and so we thank you for that in the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. Church, I don't want to uh, belabor the moment, but perhaps you have been seeking the voice of God as we've been going through this series called Tune In over the last month. And he's been speaking to you, and you've been struggling to determine if that is God. Well, we gave you some tools this morning for you to step into some truth. And I want to invite you this morning to come forward. If you're just in need of godly counsel, if you are in need of some prayer this morning, feel free to come forward. We've got people who are just going to pray with you and speak some words of wisdom and knowledge into your life and agree with you in truth. So if you need to go, be blessed as you go. But don't, don't run off too quickly. If you feel like you're just sensing something inside, the Lord is speaking to you, just Linger. Until you've had that encounter with Jesus that you're looking for. If you need to go, be blessed as you go. We love you and we'll see you next week, church.